Chapter thirty two of Notwithstanding by Mary Chumley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Simon Evers. Mon Dieu, mon Dieu, la vie est là, simple et tranquille. C'est passible que Rumalar vient de la ville. Qu'as-tu fait, ô oh toi, que voilà, pleurons sans cesse? Dis, qu'as-tu fait, toi, que voilà de ta jeunesse? Paul Verlaine. The sound of the anthem came faint and sweet over the ivied wall into the garden of the dower house, where Harry was standing alone under the cedar, in his black clothes, his hands behind his back, mournfully contemplating the little mud hut which he and Tommy had made for the hedgehog which lived in the garden. His ally, Tommy, who was a member of the choir, was absent. So was the hedgehog. It was not sitting in its own house, looking out at the door, as it ought to have been, and as Tommy had said it would. Harry had shed tears because the hedgehog did not appreciate its house. That prickly recluse had shown such unwillingness to intrude, to force his society on the other possible inmates, indeed, although conscious of Teddy Fresher from behind, had offered such determined and ball-like resistance at the front door, that a large crack had appeared in the wall. Harry heaved a deep sigh, and then slowly got out his marbles. Marbles remain when hedgehogs pass away. Presently the nurse, who had been watching him from the window, came swiftly from the house and sat down near him, on the round seat under the cedar. "'Must I stop?' he said docilely at once, smiling at her. "'No, no,' she said, trying to smile back at him. "'Go on, but don't make a noise.' He gravely resumed his game, and she gazed at him intently, as if she had never seen him before, looking herself how worn and haggard in the soft September sunshine. It was one of those gracious days when the world seemed steeped in peace, when bitterness and unrest and self-seeking fold their tents like the Arabs and as silently steal away. No breath stirred. High in the windless spaces above the elms, the rooks were circling and cawing. The unwhispering trees laid cool, transparent shadows across the lawns. All was still, so still that even the hedgehog, that reluctant householder, came slowly out of a clump of dahlias and hunched himself on the sun-warmed grass. The woman on the bench saw him, but she did not point him out to Harry. Why should not the hedgehog also have his hour of peace? And presently, very pure and clear, came Annette's voice. They shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more, neither shall the sun lighten them, nor any heat. The Rift Choir knew only two anthems. The nurse leaned her tired head in its speckless little cap against the trunk of the cedar, and the tears welled up into her eyes. She was tired, oh, so tired of hungering and thirsting and the sun and the dust, so tired of the trampling struggle and turmoil of life, of being pushed from pillar to post, from patient to patient. For seventeen grinding years she had earned her bread in the house of strangers, and she was sick to death of it. And she had been handsome once, gay and self-confident once, innocent once. She had been determined that her mother should never know want. And she had never known it, never known either the straits to which her daughter had been reduced to keep that tiny home together. That was all over now. Her mother was dead, and her lover, if so he could be called, had passed out of her life. 
and as she sat on the bench she told herself for the hundredth time that there was no one to fight for her but herself. She felt old and worn out and ashamed, and the tears fell. She had not been like this, cunning and self-seeking, to start with. Life had made her so. She shut her eyes so that she might not see that graceful, pathetic creature with its beautiful eyes fixed on the marbles, of whom she had dared to make a cat's paw. But presently she felt a soft cheek pressed to hers and an arm round her neck. "'Don't cry, Nursie,' Harry said gently. "'Brother Dick has gone to heaven.' And he kissed her as a child might kiss its mother. She winced at his touch and then pushed back her hair, still thick and wavy, with the grey just beginning to show in it, and returned his kiss. And as he stood before her she took his hands and held them tightly, her miserable eyes fixed on him. A silent sob shook her, and then she said, "'You know where God lives, Harry?' Harry disengaged one hand and pointed to the sky above him. He was not often sure of giving the right answer, but he had a happy confidence that this was correct. "'Yes,' she went on, "'God lives in the sky and looks down on us. He's looking at us now.' Harry glanced politely up at the heavens and then back at his companion. "'He's looking at us now.' He hears what I say. I'm not one that believes much in promises. Nobody's ever kept any to me. But I call him to witness that what I have taken upon myself I will perform, that I will do my duty by you, and I will be good to you always, and be your best friend, whatever may happen. So help me God. End of chapter 32